Hey, we are starting a brand new series today that I'm so excited about. I, I love this series. Is we're, we're talking about get to the point. And get to the point, we've done this before. If you've been around Journey a couple years ago, we've done this. And we were going to do it last year. But Cedar Point wasn't open when we were going to do it. So we changed things. And I love, so I grew up in Sandusky. I grew up on Camp Street. And summer to me was Cedar Point. I mean, it was, my birthday was in June, and every birthday I was at Cedar Point. I love Cedar Point. And so what we're going to do in this series, just like we did a couple years ago, a couple years ago we looked at some rides like Gatekeeper and Millennium Force. This year we're going to look at different rides, and we're using these iconic rides from Cedar Point as a, as a jump point to talk about some really serious biblical issues. And so today we're going to be talking about the Demon Drop. And my question is, who in this room ever rode the Demon Drop? Whoa, wow, awesome. Now, a lot of the young people in this room are going, I've never heard of this ride. Like, what was this ride? Well, it was replaced by the gatekeeper. But if you're from my generation or older, you'll remember that the demon drop was right there at the entrance of Cedar Point. And like, maybe looking at the video, it doesn't look like it was that big of a deal. You know, some of the younger folks, you're like, well, that doesn't look like it was big of a deal. I'm telling you, when this thing was built, I was, I was six years old. And I remember, I distinctly remember in elementary school, like there was a division in the elementary school over who has rode the demon drop. And like once you kind of crossed that threshold, like you were big stuff. <laughs> I've rode the demon drop. You haven't? And people would lie about it. They would say that they rode the demon drop when they really hadn't rode the demon drop. And I remember like going into Cedar Point, I'd look up at the demon drop and I'd be like, oh, I don't think I could do it, right? <laughs> And there was all these rumors about the demon drop. There was a rumor that it was 666 feet high. It wasn't even close. It was 132 feet high, right? Like there was all these things about when you're a kid, you don't know that, right? And, and all these different things. And so, so, so here's what we want to do. We want to use this ride to talk about, let's talk about demons. And sometimes we go to church and some of you have grown up in church and you've never, I mean, you've heard like a pastor talk about a, a demon like just in, you know, you know, just on their way to another topic, we're going to take this morning and just talk about what does the Bible say about demons? What did, what did Jesus have to say about demons? Because the truth of the matter is demons and darkness and spiritual warfare is all real. In fact, I'll say this, and you don't have to agree with this, but I'm going to, I'm going to make the statement. I believe the spiritual realm, the demonic realm, certainly the angelic realm, it is more real than the realm that we see and feel and touch that we know is real. And so why do we need to know about this? We live in an age where darkness is becoming more pronounced. And if, you, if you've been watching the news, if you've been paying attention to culture, it seems like every system of, of, our, uh, uh, of, of just culture itself, society itself, just feels like it's so fragile, doesn't it? And we live in a time where I feel like darkness has always been around. Darkness has always been infiltrating. But there are seasons and there are eras and there are even geographical areas of our world where at times the demonic becomes more pronounced than maybe what we've experienced in the past. This is an important topic for us to talk about because it is real. And because it is attacking you. If you're an unbeliever, man, it's attacking you. But even if you are a believer, there's an attack against you as well. 
So let's look at what the Bible has to say. We're going to start in Mark chapter 3. This is one of the Gospels. It is the second of the four accounts of, of Jesus' life and ministry. And so if you want to know more about Jesus, maybe you're here and you don't know what you believe about Jesus. Oh, I don't know if I really believe that he's the Son of God. I don't really believe all this stuff. I would encourage you, go to the Gospels, go to these four accounts, and just read through them. So we're looking at Mark's gospel. Mark, by the way, uh, is coming from the perspective of Peter. Peter was an illiterate uh, fisherman, and he, didn't, he couldn't write necessarily this, so he dictated his uh, experiences to Mark, who was a scribe, a secretary who wrote all this down. And by the way, just some little trivia if you're ever on Jeopardy. Mark was the first gospel written, and Luke and Matthew actually used the gospel of Mark to kind of write theirs. And so they would use that as a launch pad, and they would interject some of their own uh, experiences and their perspectives into it. And so it's really awesome. I'm saying all this. I'm rambling to get you to the point where you're there. Okay, is everybody there in Mark chapter 3? Okay, so verse 22, it says this. It says, the teachers of religious law who had arrived from Jerusalem said this, get ready. You ready? Turn to the person next to you and say, you ready? Okay. Here's what the teachers of the religious law said. Jesus, this is a quote, Jesus is possessed by Satan, the prince of demons. That's where he gets the power to cast out demons. This is in the Bible, y'all. Okay, so what's going on here is you have some religious leaders, probably Pharisees. These are guys who their whole life have been educated. They have all this education dripping with education. And Jesus steps onto the scene. Jesus is 30 years old. He's the son of a carpenter. He hasn't been through the same graduate programs and doctorate programs that they've been through. And Jesus starts speaking, and he immediately captures the attention of the common people, the middle class, the lower class. I mean, they are riveted by the teachings of Jesus, and, and Jesus not only is riveting their attention, but now he's performing miracles, and he's healing people, and he's casting demons out of people, and the religious leaders see all this, and, and, and it evokes several emotions inside of them. First of all, there's the emotion of jealousy. Like, who does this guy think he is, right? Like, we know way more than he does. Like, how is he doing this? And, and there's instant skepticism, right? But then the other emotion that Jesus evoked was that of fear. And they, were, they felt like their obligation was to preserve the system. The system, that, this religious system that had been around for hundreds of years. Like, they were the keepers of that system. And here comes this son of a carpenter, Walking in, he thought I was going to say something else, right? He comes stepping in the scene, and they're like, who do you think you are, right? And so they're trying to keep the system. They're trying to preserve the system. And so the only way that they can wrap their brains around what is going on, I mean, surely from their perspective, God isn't anointing him. God isn't causing these things. God has anointed them, so the only way they can explain this is that Jesus' power to do all the things that he's doing comes from the fact that he himself is possessed by a demon. We know that's not true. Jesus is going to address this. But before we look at how Jesus addresses their accusation, I think it's important for us to actually define some terms. And because some of you are sitting there and you're going, what are demons? Like, I've heard the phrase, I knew there was a demon drop, I know I've heard this stuff, but what, what does the Bible actually say about demons? And so if you have the notes, I'm going to encourage you to follow along. By the way, we usually have notes back on the shelf that has our Bibles on it, and if you want them, I guess you can raise it. I don't know if we have enough for everybody in the room, do we? 
Um, but you can grab some on their way out. Also, if you want to follow along in the notes, if you go to our Church Center app, uh, right there on the home screen, um, big bold, it says notes, you can click on that. Or you can go to our website, explorejourney.org, go to the menu, click on sermons, and there's an option for following along in the notes. Okay, so here's some, okay, what is a demon? What is this all about? Couple points. Number one, demons are the fallen angels who sided with Satan when he rebelled against God. This is described in Revelation. This is described uh, in the Old Testament in different places. So here's the scene. God in all of his holiness and all of his perfection has created a host of angels, right? These angels have different, like a hierarchy to them, right? One of the top angels that God created was an angel named Lucifer, right? Lucifer is like the, the head of worship in heaven. He's beautiful. He's described in the Old Testament as just being this beautiful creature. And Lucifer becomes filled with pride and starts looking at the kingdom of God and goes, well, I could do things differently. He rebels against God. And if that wasn't bad enough, he convinces a third of the angels to side with him. Well, of course, God is holy. He's perfect. He's not gonna, he's not gonna allow this crap, right? And so God kicks Lucifer out of the heavens and along with them a third of the angels. And these angels now become angels of darkness or demons. Okay, everybody follow that? And what is, and, and now, if, now they are under the authority or under the control of Lucifer. And we call Lucifer Satan or Satan. Satan in the Hebrew literally means the accuser. We call him the devil. The Bible calls him Beelzebub. He's got all these different titles in the Bible. But these demons are these fallen angels that are under his authority. Number two, demons are enemies of God. So their main job description is to thwart, to get in the way of anything they can, the things of God, the kingdom of God, the rulership of God, the reign of God. And, and they know they can't. See, God is infinitely higher and more powerful than demons, than Satan. Okay? So they can't attack God himself. God is perfect. There's no way they can attack him. So what do they do? They attack the things that God loves most. Who does God love most? Us. And so you better believe that you're going to face demonic attack in your life. We'll, we'll keep going. We'll explain that more in a few minutes. Number three, demons are spirits who have personality and intelligence. Can I just say demons are shrewd? They're alert. They've been studying humanity for a long time. They've been studying you and I for a long time. And we need to understand that. Number four, demons are the power behind idol gods so that the worship of false gods is actually the worship of demons. And it's important because we live in a culture where we look back, you know, I've, I've heard people talk about missionaries, you know, and the missionaries back in the 1800s. And, and they start like, like looking at these mix, mi missionaries as like these bigots who were coming in and trying to change cultures and try to keep people from this pure idol worship that they were practicing. It's like, no, there was a lot of demon stuff in the midst of that. I don't know about you, child sacrifice is horrible. It's part of idol worship, you know? Like, I mean, we could go down the road. Uh, number five is the one that probably a lot of you would be the most fixated on. And if, you know, you remember back to middle school when you'd be spending the night at a friend's house and, and the movies you'd put on are these movies about demon possession and, you know, the person's head spins around and, oh, you know, and all this stuff. So, so this is the one you're probably the most interested in. Demons can, according to the Bible, live or dwell in the bodies of unbelievers, and this is in, you know, you probably heard this referred to as demon possession. Where a demon, I, I, I would use the word inhabit, a demon will inhabit 
the person who, who is not a believer. We'll talk a little more about that in a moment, but we see an illustration of this. This is all over the Gospels, by the way. It's all over even into the book of Acts. Luke chapter 4, verse 40, we'll just read two verses here. It gives us a description of this. It says, as the sun went down that evening, people throughout the village brought sick family members to Jesus. No matter what their diseases were, the touch of Jesus' hand healed everyone. Many were possessed by demons. And the demons came out at Jesus' command, shouting, you are the son of God. But because they knew he was the Messiah, Jesus rebuked them and refused to let them speak. I mean, there's, we could, I could have picked, there's dozens of these passages. What do, we, what do we learn? We learn that demons can inhabit people. We learn that demons can use the voice of the person that they're inhabiting and will try to speak through that person. We learn that these demons will enslave individuals and influence them toward destruction. In fact, in the Gospels, anytime someone is inhabited by a demon, it seems like there's always self-destruction going on. Because the demon doesn't care about that person. In fact, the whole reason why they're inhabiting that person is to steal from them, to kill them, to destroy them, right? So it's not exactly the way that you see it in the movies, I guess, depending on what movie you've watched. But a demon inhabiting a person is a real thing. Number six, although not all sickness and disease are the result of evil forces, demons can cause physical illness in the human body. Okay, what are you saying, Pastor? I'm not saying that everybody who is sick or someone who has a disease, that every one of them, the reason why they have that is because of a demon. Okay, I'm not saying that. I am saying that according to the Gospels, sometimes that is the reason. We just need to be aware of that. We need to pay attention to that, right? Because we live in an age where we'll just treat everything medically and not realize that there's also a spiritual component going on as well. I'm a fan of medical, okay? I'm a fan of doctors, nurses, I'm a fan of all that stuff, okay? But I, I think sometimes in, because we are so superior in our rational minds, we leave out the fact there's a spiritual thing going on here too. Number seven, those involved in spiritism, magic, and sorcery are dealing with evil spirits, which can lead to demonic bondage. And it doesn't always look like this. It, all, it doesn't always look horrible, but I'm telling you, as a follower of Jesus, if you have the spirit of God inside of you, and you're about to engage in something, and there's just something inside of you that is uncomfortable with it, that may be the Holy Spirit telling you, abort, 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 walk away, leave this, don't play with this, right? And you need to pay attention to that. And it doesn't mean that you need to broadcast, I'm not comfortable with this. You guys are all sinners and wicked people that you're engaging in this. You can very easily just say, you know what? Um, I'd rather not do this. In fact, would you guys rather go bowling? Would you rather watch this movie? Would you rather, like you don't have to, you don't have to, I don't know. That's enough. Okay. So let's go back. Some of you are back in Mark 3 and you're wondering, okay, so you have these religious leaders who are saying the reason why Jesus is able to do all this stuff is because he's possessed by demons. Some of you are like, I really need to know how Jesus responded to that. So, so let's get back to that story. Mark 3, verse 23. It says, Jesus called them over called these religious leaders who were making these accusations, called them over and responded with an illustration. How can Satan cast out Satan, he asked. A kingdom divided by civil war will collapse. Similarly, a family splintered by feuding will fall apart. And if Satan is divided and fights against himself, how can he stand? He would never survive. Now here's the key, verse 27. Let me illustrate this further. 
Who is powerful enough to enter the house of a strong man and plunder his goods? In my mind, I instantly think of like a terrorist. I think of like those Navy SEAL videos, you know, anytime that they've gone in and you get this footage of them coming into a home of a terrorist, you know, like an Osama bin Laden or some character like that. Like, like who is powerful enough to enter the house of a strong man and to plunder his goods? And his answer is a rhetorical question. His answer is only someone even stronger. Someone who could tie him up and then plunder his house. I love that. I love that phrase, only someone even stronger. Who is it that can bind up the strong man? Only someone even stronger. Who is it? It's Jesus. That's why Jesus had the power, because he is stronger. Only he can tie him up and plunder his house. And this leads us to one of the reasons why Jesus came to this earth. Like, yes, Jesus came to heal people. Yes, people came to perform miracles. Yes, ultimately, Jesus came to die on the cross, to take upon himself the punishment that we deserve for our sins. But we miss out if we don't also realize that Jesus came to this earth to set people free who have been enslaved by evil. And this is key. And we don't talk about this enough in church circles. In fact, right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, so, you know, Jesus is 30 years old. He hasn't even really preached a sermon yet. He's been baptized by his cousin John. He went out into the wilderness. He's tempted for 40 days, and he comes back, and he comes back to his hometown, and he walks in the synagogue on a Saturday. And he walks in, and he's just going to, you know, just observe. He's not up there to preach or teach or anything. And they call Jesus up. Hey, Jesus, come on up here. And they hand, hand him a scroll. It's a scroll of the ancient prophet Isaiah. And he said, you can do the public reading today. This was normal in a synagogue. Someone would come up and do the reading, and then a rabbi would, would explain. And, and So they call Jesus up, and they give him this ancient scroll. It's the scroll of Isaiah. And Jesus starts reading, and this is what he reads. In Luke chapter 4, verse 18, Jesus is reading from, from Isaiah. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Puts the scroll back together, hands it to the attendant, sits down. Everybody's eyes are like riveted to him, right? They're like, Whoa. I mean, there was something about the way he read it that they had never, they had never heard something read like that before. And so Jesus, he got this like uncomfortable moment. And Jesus is like, I don't know if he stands back up. I don't know if he like, but the gospels tell us that he says, I declare today, this day, this, this has been accomplished. What I just read, I'm accomplishing it. Well, well wait, okay. Some of you are going, well, I wasn't really paying attention. What, what did he just read? Jesus said, the spirit of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit himself, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. He's anointed me. He hasn't just anointed me so I can go around going, I'm anointed, I'm anointed. He's anointed me to do stuff. What has he anointed me to do? Those who are spiritually impoverished, I've been anointed to speak good news to them. Those who feel imprisoned, imprisoned by anything, it could be an addiction, whatever it is, I've come to proclaim freedom. Those who are blind, it could be physical blindness, it could be just blind spots that we all have. I've come to declare re recovery of sight. And then he says this, those who are oppressed, 
I have come to bring release. What is oppressed? I mean, didn't, didn't he just say that when he said, those who are imprisoned, I've come to declare freedom? There's a difference. Oppressed is usually something that has happened. I'm, 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 I'm in need of freedom. I'm imprisoned because of something that I've done. Oppression is usually something that was done by somebody else to me. Abuse. Physical, sexual, maybe verbal. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's other decisions of other people. And so there's oppression And Jesus says, I've come to bring release. Listen, this is who Jesus is. This is what Jesus does. In fact, I love love how Mark described the people's reaction to Jesus' teaching and ministry. In Mark chapter 1, verse 27, it says, Amazement gripped the audience, and they began to discuss what had happened. What sort of new teaching is this? (laughs) Like, they never heard anybody like him before. They asked excitedly, It has such authority. Listen to this. Even evil spirits obey his orders. And the news about Jesus spread quickly throughout the entire region of Galilee. I love that. They're looking around each other. They're they're punching each other on the shoulder going, even evil spirits. Listen to him. He, He even has power over them. So here's what I want you to get this morning. First of all, I want you to get that the supernatural is real. The supernatural is real. Our actual battle is not against flesh and blood enemies. I know it seems like that. And I think that's one of the temptations of the American church right now, is to think that that's our battle. That our battle is against politicians. That our battle is against this system. Our battle is against this over here. Listen, that's not our primary battle. We're not battling against flesh and blood enemies. We're battling against all the supernatural forces that are coming against you and coming against your family and your kids and your grandkids and your nieces and your nephews. Demons are real. Demons are real. This isn't make-believe. They're enemies of God and enemies of God's purposes for your life. So here's what I want you to get. The supernatural is real. Don't play around with evil. Don't give Satan space in your life. Be quick to confess sin and be quick to turn from it and to turn to God. Don't play around. Don't flirt around with evil stuff. Number two, Jesus is stronger. Jesus is stronger. We don't focus our attention on the demons. We don't walk around, you know, oh, I think there's a demon behind that door, you know, like like that. When we do that, when our attention is all on demons, that's called worship. My attention is to be on Jesus, who is far greater and far superior. He has the power to plunder the domain of the enemy. The Holy Spirit anointed Jesus to proclaim freedom and release. So look to Jesus. Seek him. Seek his word. Read the Gospels. If it's been a long time or maybe you've never read the Gospels before, man, get reacquainted with Jesus. Read his teachings. Read what he has to say. Immerse yourself in it. Listen to it on the way to work. There's free Bible apps that will read it to you. Jesus is stronger. This reminds me of, you know, my days at Cedar Point. I remember being that seven, eight-year-old Kenny, you know, totally intimidated by the demon drop, right? Something happened back in 1998. Cedar Point decided, you know what? We're going to build something bigger than the demon drop. We're going to build something. We're going to call it the Power Tower. This is the actual dimensions, okay? This is like literally like how this would be measurements. Over here is a demon drop, 130 feet tall, right? 
Look at this. This is a power tower. 300 feet high. We're going to talk about the power tower in a couple weeks. But here's what I want you to get. The Bible talks about, when it talks about a tower, often the Bible is referring to God is our tower of refuge, our tower of salvation, our tower that we can run to when we're being pursued by evil. And just, just to throw this in there, and I don't know how I get this to theologically work, but I love the power tower too, because, you know, the demon drop always push people down, and the power tower can do that, but the power tower also has the option of being sucked up into the sky, right? <laughs> I love the power tower. I, I love sitting there, just sitting Everyone's around just watching you because it's a fun thing to do. You're just sitting there. You're all buckled in. You're all ready to go. They've all given the thumbs up, and you're like, <gasps> and then all of a sudden, <laughs> you're like, up in the sky, like, like here, here's Jesus is stronger. He's stronger than any fear. He's stronger than any demonic force that would come against you. And I hate to say, can I, can I, I think pastors, sometimes we do a disservice, like, like there's this theology that when I ask Jesus to come into my life, when I receive his grace and his forgiveness, and I ask him to be the master and leader of my life, that from that point forward, everything, you've heard me say this a gazillion times, that everything's going to be cupcakes and unicorns, that everything's going to be good, that you're going to be healthy and prosperous. You want a better job? It's yours, right? Like if you just become a follower of Jesus, like it's all going to be great, some of us have been in churches where, where we've been taught that. The only problem with that is when you read through the Gospels, when you read through the book of Acts, when you read the epistles that Paul wrote and Peter wrote and James wrote and John wrote, you find out that that's not the case for the early church. In fact, you might not like this, but when you become a follower of Jesus, I would submit to you sometimes things can get worse in your life because you become a target. The evil one wants to come after you. He wants to thwart. He wants to stop the kingdom of God advancing in your life. He doesn't want you impacting positively for the kingdom of God, the people around you. So he will attack you. I was just talking to someone a couple weeks ago who was just fired up, a follower of Jesus, and, and they've walked away from the church. I said, what's going on? And they said, you know, it just became, this is an exact quote, it became too hard. It became too hard. I, I hate to break it to you, following Jesus is going to be hard. There's a demonic assignment against you. But greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And I think it's important for you to know you are in a war. I'll never forget, I was about five, six years into ministry, you know, a brand new pastor, still in my 20s, and I was meeting with a group of pastors, and they were all pretty much the same age, and we're just sitting around this circle, just whining and complaining about ministry, and, you know, those people who attend church, members of churches, you know, they're just so people, wretched people, you know, like, you know, just... And it was this pastor who was probably old enough to be our dad. He was sitting in there, his name is Greg. And he kind of listened to us long enough, but they, you could tell he was just getting impatient. And finally, once we had done with our whining and moaning and stuff, he, he looked at us and he said, just, I can just, maybe he didn't do this. In my mind, I seemed just kind of shaking his head. He goes, you do know we're in a, bo a war, boys, don't you? <laughs> you do know that we're in a war, boys, don't you? Like, of course it's going to be hard. We're in a war. And this life is a vapor. It is a spitting in the wind. And eternity is so much longer and we got to decide, am I, am I in this for the long haul? Do I believe that Jesus is greater than those forces that come against me? And this leads to the third point, and I've only got three that I want to end with. 
The third point is this. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you've received the grace of Jesus, you've asked him to forgive you of your sins, you are a Christian. In fact, if, you're, if you are a follower of Jesus in this room, I want you to say that, we're going to say this out loud, I am a Christian. Okay, you ready? Here we go. I am a Christian. Okay, some of you are like, I didn't know how we were supposed to do that, so I wasn't quite there. Okay, let, let's do it. Let's just do it one more time, okay? Because that was really powerful. Let's say it together. I am a Christian. Okay, so, so big whoop, what does that mean, Christian? You're a Christian, what does that mean? You know what Christian literally means? It means little Christ. Okay, so that, that, that's not rocking your world. Okay, I get that. You're like, okay, big whoop. I'm, I'm a little Christ, okay? That actually doesn't sound as big. Like, Christian sounds better than little Christ, right? You know what Christ means, right? Christ means anointed one. You know what? When you say I'm a Christian, you know what you're saying? I am a little anointed one. But some of you still isn't. I, I'm telling you, if you can get this, this could change everything this week. You are, this is your identity, you are a little anointed one. The same anointing that was upon Christ is upon you. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available for you. You are a little anointed one. You have the power. You have the authority. If there's something funky going on in your home, you don't have to call Pastor Ken up at 2 o'clock in the morning. Say, Pastor Ken... Something funky going on in my home. Would you come over and pray for me? Can I, I'm just going to, this is serious, y'all. You are a little anointed one. So look around your home. Ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, what's going on here? Is there something going on in my home? Is there something that I've been engaged in? Is there something somebody else is engaged in? If there's something going on where you're doing something out of alignment with the kingdom of God, you don't have to, you don't have to feel shame. You don't have to walk around in condemnation. You just confess that thing, turn from it, renounce it, repent of it. And then you say, in the name of Jesus, I belong to Jesus. I am a little anointed one. The anointing of Jesus upon me. You start playing worship music in your home. Go to Spotify. There's all kinds of playlists that you can listen to. You start playing that music in your home. You get out some olive oil from your cupboard. Then you just put a little bit of it on your finger. You don't need to douse your hand or anything like that. You don't need to put your whole hand in a thing. Of like, you just put a little bit on your finger and you just start, you just start putting, putting anointing oil on your door frames. I plead the blood of Jesus over this house. I speak the anointing of Jesus Christ over this house. Here's a little secret. You can do this covertly at work. (laughs) Okay, I'm not saying you walk into Heinz tomorrow. Like, listen, y'all. I'm a little anointed one. Ha! The anointing, ha! Oh, God, ha! It's upon me, ha! Okay, you you don't need to do that. HR might find out and have a little conversation. Some of you, we're being funny, some of you work in some environments that are straight out demonic. You feel it. I mean, just just me talking about your workplace, there's just, it's demonic. There's a demonic assignment. Here's what I encourage you to do. Pray your whole way to work in the mornings. Turn off, you know, whatever talk show you're listening to, whatever, you know, so-and-so in the mornings on whatever radio, just turn that stuff off and just, just pray, intercede on your way to work. Here's where it gets covert. Put a, little, put a little olive oil on your finger. Open all the doors with the other one. You just start putting in a strategic, just lean against a wall nonchalantly. Speak the name of Jesus over that, 
right? Like, I'm being totally serious, y'all. Like, you have, a, you have the anointing of the Holy Spirit in you and upon you. Students in this room, man, I know we're still, you, you know, in your mind, school's still two months away, but it's closer than you think. <laughs> you know, you are a little anointed one in the hallways of your school, of your college. You are an anointed one. I'm telling you, I have a dream of students realizing the anointing of the Holy Spirit that's upon them. Because I'm telling you, there's a demonic assignment in our schools. And you walk in there with the power of God and the anointing of God and the authority of Jesus Christ. And you start, instead of just being on the defense, you start being on the offense. Way off my notes. I don't even know where I'm at. Some of you in this room today, you need freedom. You have felt a weight of the demonic upon you. Now, I want to be really clear for a moment here. Only those who are not followers of Jesus can be inhabited by demonic spirits. You say, Ken, where do you get that? Because if I'm a follower of Jesus, I've been inhabited by the Holy Spirit. Scripture's very clear. The Holy Spirit dwells within you. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have received the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells inside of you. You don't have to worry, maybe I'm possessed. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are not possessed. Okay? Your mother-in-law, now that's a different story. Okay. You, didn't, you didn't have to nod so vehemently, okay? A smarter move would have been just to smile and keep looking forward and not make any, okay? But listen, follower of Jesus in this room, Christian in this room, little anointed one in this room, you, you can be attacked. You can be attacked. I'll tell you, this past Thursday, like, I don't know, it was just, it just felt like all day long. And it wasn't until like that evening where I went, what am I preaching about on Sunday? (laughs) I'm I'm being dead serious. I was like, oh, (laughs) that's what's going on, (laughs) right? I want to read you one last passage. This is Paul writing. Colossians chapter 2, we'll put it up on the screen. He's writing to followers of Jesus like most of you in this room. He says, you were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Can I just stop for a minute? That's everybody in this room at one point or another. Maybe some of you still are dead spiritually. He says, you were dead because of sin. Sin is rebellion. It's rejecting God's way. It's being self-absorbed. It's being self-centered. It's it's saying, I'm going to do things my way. It's lack of compassion. It's everybody in this room has sinned. And because of that, we're dead to God. He says, you were, that that was a state, you were dead. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. God did that. It wasn't me. He loved me. He loved you so much that in your deadness, in your sin, he sent Jesus to die on the cross to take your punishment. And he forgave not some of your sins, He forgave all your sins. Now listen, it gets better. Verse 14, he, God, canceled the record of the charges against us. And what did he do with that record? He took it away by nailing it to the cross. That complete record, for some of us in this room, that's a long record. And then he says this, last verse. In this way, He, Jesus, disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. Who are they? 
the demonic. Jesus disarmed them. He defanged them. They don't have any bite anymore. They look just as vicious. They look just as evil. They talk to talk. But he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. And look at this. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Do you need freedom? You need freedom? You're a follower of Jesus. There's no shame in saying, there's something that's, I mean, it just feels like it is heavy. I'm a follower of Jesus. I've received the grace of Jesus, forgiveness of Jesus, but this thing has just been attacking me. Some of you in this room, you're not a follower of Jesus. You say, I need freedom. If that's you today and you know it, would you just stand to your feet if that's you? The first service all over the place, people were standing. Don't wait for somebody else. If that's you, you say, I need freedom. Don't, don't let shame keep you from responding right now. Don't let, I wonder what people are going to think, keep you from saying, if you need freedom, would you stand to your feet? feel like darkness is just like it's got your number. There's a mark on you. Anybody else? Anybody else? i tell you, I'd be standing. <laughs> Sometimes I just feel it. It's just like, man, you're out to get me. Yeah. We're going to take this just a step further. And I know we don't usually do this at Journey. Maybe this is a little bit outside of, of your culture. For some of you, this is definitely going to trip the weird meter. I'm going to ask you, if you have the guts to do it, I'm going to ask you to, if you're standing, I'm going to ask you to come forward, and especially over here, if you can come over to this side. We have a little bit of space over here as well. I'm going to ask you, if you're standing, if you, if you do this, we want to pray for you. And the best, best space where we have room to do that is over on these sides. So if you come forward and just kind of make a line Especially over here, we have lots of room. Just kind of make a line, like going that way. Just kind of face this wall. We have some space over here too if we, if we run out of space over here. As they're coming up, I need, I need any of our prayer partners. You say, well, I'm not assigned today. I have today off. I, say, I need you to help me out. Any of our pastors in this room, any of our board of stewards, any of you who you're born again, you're spirit-filled, like there is just a, you know you're anointed this morning. Some of our prayer team from Wednesday afternoons, you're welcome to come as well. What I would like is just someone to be with each of these people who have responded. So you guys might need to kind of spread out just a little bit more. Guys with guys, ladies with ladies, just want you to just put your hand on their shoulder. We're not going to be weird. We're not trying to push anybody down. Just a gentle hand on the shoulder and we're just going to pray. Is everybody, if you don't have someone praying with you, just wave your hand. Does everybody have somebody praying with you? I'm looking around. Wave your hand if not. In church, if you're, if you're still sitting in your seats, we're going to make this just a place of intercession. We're going to pray over our workplaces. We're going to pray over our schools, over our families, over our kids. We're just going to pray, God, we're asking you for an anointing that we've never experienced before, an anointing, a freedom, a release that we've never experienced before. Let's go ahead and just begin praying. We just pray. We're praying freedom, freedom in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, 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 you are our life. Jesus, Jesus, you are greater. You are stronger. Jesus, Jesus, there's no one stronger than you. There's no one greater than you. Jesus, Jesus, crucified, risen, ascended, exalted. 
We speak to every demonic spirit that would try to oppress your people. You foul spirit, you go in the name of Jesus. Oh, Holy Spirit, would you reveal if there's anything going on in our lives, going on in our families, anything that we need to renounce, anything that we need to walk away from. Holy Spirit, would you just reveal that? God, would you show that to us? Oh, in the name of Jesus, every addiction would be broken in the name of Jesus. Every oppression. God, things that were done 30 years ago, we speak to oppression, we speak release over that oppression in Jesus' name. We speak to depression. Depression, you must go in the name of Jesus. Suicidal thoughts, you go in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. We speak over workplaces. God, we speak your life over dead, dark places. God, we speak your life. We speak over our schools, over every student that is represented in this room. God, we pray over kindergartners and preschoolers. We pray over middle school students and high school students, over college students, graduate students. God, we speak your life. We speak your anointing. We speak release. We speak the authority of Jesus in the name of Jesus. Oh, thank you, Jesus.